0: Not just for Christmas. Any, ever, anyone ever seen that sticker? Yeah. And, th- and as I was preparing for today, this phrase came to mind because our Simply Advent s- series, it, it struck me, is actually for life and not just for Christmas. Um, but in the same way that Christmas often increases the number of puppies given as gifts, so Christmas somehow highlights the spending, the hurry, the me, and our response as a church is to move the focus onto the three simplifying Advent gifts of more giving, more time, more Jesus. And I hope during this Advent, you're encouraged to ponder your priorities as we head into Christmas and then into 2018. Um, And maybe, just maybe, as we think today about hurry... We might see that Christmas is merely a symptom, a crescendo moment of the hurry that we experience in our day-to-day lives. Because you know, I don't know about you, but the run-up to Christmas still has all those other things that we do: making the breakfast, making the lunch, the sandwiches for school, making dinner, cleaning, going to work, uh, looking after those we care for, tidying up. That's picking up me. Um, But on top of that, we also have buying presents, writing cards, sorting the Christmas food, wrapping the gifts, visiting relatives, meeting up with friends, preparing for and engaging with the festive activities, not least those going on here at the church at Junction 10. And even many retired people, and I'm looking in sort of several directions here, tell me that they don't know how they ever fitted in a full-time job because they're busier now than when they worked. And most of us, most of us see Christmas and we think, we're going to have some time. We're have some, oh, I'm getting some accompaniment, excellent. We're going to have some time off at Christmas, but it's not always like that. It's not always a restful holiday. Often, I, I don't know about you, get to the new year a little bit more frazzled than when I broke up from work. I'm getting some nods. Excellent. See, the things that we do over Christmas are nice. They're good things. They're great things often. But they're so packed together that instead of being life-giving, they can end up life-sapping. So let me pause and ask you a question. How many of us are too busy doing life that we're not living? How many of us are too busy in life that we're not living and uh, I came onto uh, my faith in Jesus as many of you know through an alpha course run at Junction 10 quite a number of years ago and the alpha course is a course for people wanting to explore the meaning of life from a Christian perspective and back then I found it really really hard to think about carving one night a week from my busy schedule It was a real difficult thing to do. But just think what would have happened if I'd have let my schedule dictate my priorities. Going on the Alpha course changed my life. And looking back, it was really worth that few hours every week to transform my eternal destiny. And as you heard earlier, we have an Alpha course running in January. And this is your opportunity to invite someone who might have their eternal destiny changed. So can you, as we run up to the Christmas period in January, could you make some time to pray? Could you pray for the course, for the people involved? But could you pray for people who you might invite? Could you perhaps make some time to talk to them about alpha and maybe you could even take the courage and take the time to invite them so can i ask you and can i ask us as a church to do that please because there are people here today who went through the alpha course last time whose lives were transformed as a result and can i ask can you put your hand up if you're in a journey group If you're in a house group, a small group, a missional community at Junction 10, could you raise your hands, please? Alison, I know you're in one. Come on, put your hand up. (laughs) She's in my house group. (laughs) Quite a few people there. Now, uh, you can put your hands down. Sorry to embarrass you. I'll pay for that later. Um, We've created a Simply Christmas study guide to go along with this teaching that we're doing on a Sunday. Now, house group leaders and small group leaders and missional community leaders, journey group leaders as we call them, you should already have those. Uh, And it's only two sessions long. It's just two sessions. But if you're not currently in a house group or a journey group or a missional community and you would like to do that study... Could you give your name into Vicky or to myself or on reception? And we can email you on the connect cards, Rachel tells me. Um, So however you do that, could you put your email down and we will get to you a PDF copy of our Junction 10 Simply Christmas. But perhaps what you could do is join together with a few Christian friends just for those two sessions, two nights between now and Christmas to do that study together. That's not... Too hard, is it? And if you're not regularly meeting up as a small group with other Christians for relationship, discipleship, and growth, could I encourage you today as we think about time? Could you think about prioritizing your time for this in the new year? Because coming to church on a Sunday is great, and we encourage you to do that, and the Bible encourages us to meet together in this way, but it also is very clear about us meeting together in a smaller context for us to have real discipleship so less hurry more time let's think about time for a moment you can spend time kill time do time have time on your hands you can be against the clock time is of the essence you can have the time of your life sorry you can take a little time one more time time after time do you remember the time Time and tide wait for no man. Time is precious. Time is short. Time can drag. I just don't have enough time. Time is a great healer. You can waste time. Time's on my side. Time flies when you're having fun. You can call time out, and I just ran out of time. Science has been on a journey of discovery with time. Uh, A guy called Isaac Newton, For those of you who did physics at school might remember that he was a scientist and he came up with this idea of absolute time, a theory that said time independently progresses at a constant pace wherever you are throughout the universe. That was Isaac Newton. That's what science thought then. Then a bit later on, a guy called Albert Einstein came along and and he discovered that that wasn't quite true. The nature of time, he says, changes relative to the speed and the acceleration with which you're travelling. And it's affected by the mass of objects. In fact, objects with extreme mass can cause time-warping gravitational fields. And his theory was grouped together. You call it relativity. He had special relativity and general relativity. But this became the norm in physics. And then quantum mechanics came along. Now, you're going to have to sort of forgive me because I am not of the intellectual capability in physics to explain any of this, but when I was looking it up, some remarkable discoveries in quantum theory have been made. There's something called the Copenhagen Interpretation. There's the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. and I, I know what that means a little bit. And Stephen Hawkins even created something called imaginary time and these are mind-blowing theories Uh, google them if you wish Um, but they have massive implications for science understanding of time but most physicists agree that time had a beginning it actually came into being at a specific moment and in the future time will come to an end so at one point time didn't exist, then it came into being, and at some stage it'll end. Can, Doesn't it just blow your mind because we live in time so much that this could be true? But it does beg the question, well, what was before time and what will be after time? Physics lesson, however, you can all relax because we're going to get into the Bible because science can't answer those questions, so what does the Bible say about time? Well, in its widest sense, the Bible talks about something called eternity. The Bible says God is eternal, el olam. The Bible says he is everlasting. His love endures forever. He has no beginning and no end. He is outside of time. He existed before time and will exist after time. He is the Alpha and the Omega, Omega, the first and the last. And the Bible uses two ideas when it talks about time. And for those of you who were with us when we were in the old building, can you remember the two Greek words that the Bible uses for time? Kronos, Kairos excellent. For those of you who weren't here back then, chronos is where we get the word chronological or chronology, and it's the passing of time. It's the seconds, minutes, hours, days ticking by. And none of us know how much chronos we have on this earth. Apparently, in 2017, in the UK, men can expect to live for 79 years, and women for 83 years. How do you work that out? Because women work much harder than men, don't they? You know, you know, how do you work it out? <laughs> got a some, got some, got some little, little bit of tension in the audience there for that one now. Apparently, I have existed for 622 months. Uh, That's 18,939 days, or 454,536 hours, or 27,272,160 minutes. It's amazing what happens when you put your birth date into Google, and it tells you all these things. Now, that's my chronos time. And if I live to an average age, I only have 28 years left on this earth if I live to an average age. Does anyone remember David Cassidy from an American hit TV series, The Partridge Family? Do Do you remember him? And you might have heard in the news that he died last week. 67 years old. He didn't even make the average. And actually, he'd suffered battling a number of illnesses even before that period, including dementia. So chronos time, what does this mean? Chronos time is really precious. Any of us might think that we've got decades left to live. But the reality is we can walk out of this place today and our life could be taken from us in the blink of an eye. And when our chronos time comes to an end, we will stand before God in eternity to account for our time on earth. So can you see why it's so important that we value and steward our chronos time and that we do that well and we prioritize the eternal things that really matter? Can you see that? Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the books in the Old Testament, describes his experiments to discover the point of his time on this earth. His quest for knowledge, his drive for achievement, his riches, his working hard to amass more wealth, his thirst for pleasure, do you know what the word he uses continually through the book is? Meaningless. Solomon discovered that prioritizing your time on those things is a vanity of vanities. A chasing after the vapor in the wind. Here today, gone tomorrow. And he came to the conclusion there's no lasting satisfaction in them. Or as one of my favorite Christian thinkers, a guy called Richard Raw says, we all find ourselves falling short of an abundant life. In spite of all our comfort-seeking, we find, much to our disappointment, that there is nothing in it. We all eventually discover that our hearts and souls will not be fed through self-seeking. So how can our souls be fed? Well, I think we have to look to Jesus to give us the answer to that. And in John 6.27, Jesus said, Don't spend your time working for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And he also said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added. Solomon concludes in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, he starts like this, he says, Remember your creator... Fear God and obey his commands. You see, what I found is when I prioritize my chronos time around all those things that this world has to offer, all of those things I mentioned earlier, work, money, family, pleasure, when I do that, God gets squeezed out of my chronos time. But when the highest priority of my time is focused on putting God first, only then do all those other things, working, pleasure, wisdom, relationships, start to have true meaning. So that's chronos. And the other word in the Bible we find is chronos. Kairos, as you told me. Kairos is a supreme moment in time. A significant moment at hand that holds a specific opportunity or calls us to make a decision. A moment at hand that requires action. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, he's inviting us into a Kairos moment with him. Kairos is a right time, a God time. And my wife, Vicky, when she talks about the Holy Spirit as she goes about her day-to-day work, she talks about Holy Spirit moments as butterfly moments. And it's helpful to think about Kairos as a butterfly moment. So what does that mean? Well, imagine that you're sitting still. Imagine a butterfly landing on your arm imagine how soft and gentle that would be to notice but then just think if you're hurrying around and rushing and moving quickly and multitasking from one thing to the next you can very easily miss those butterfly moments those times of the holy spirit's gentle prompting but but why do we hurry Well, I've got a few answers to that. Uh, Bill Hybels, who's the senior pastor of Willow Creek, a large church in Chicago, says that many people are overscheduled. And he says this happens because we're drowning under the increasing demands of responsibilities and pressures of life. And he says that we often act as though we've got no control over the demands in our life and that it all just happens to us. But he says we... Are the boss of our calendars. We are the boss of our calendars. And he asks this question, and I'd like to ask you this question, and and maybe you could ponder on this. What would happen if God was truly in charge of your time? What would be different if God was in charge of your time? Eugene Peterson, he wrote the Message Bible, brilliant, brilliant Christian thinker, says this Jesus moved slowly, not striving, not rushing. He didn't hurry. He patiently waited through his adolescent and young adult years to reveal himself as Messiah. Even then, he didn't rush to be recognized. He waited patiently for the Father's timing during his three short years of ministry. Why is it then that we hate slow when the Father seems to delight in it? He answers it this way, I am busy because I am vain. I'm busy because I'm vain. I want to appear important, significant, and what better way than to be busy? The incredible hours, the crowded schedule, the heavy demands of my time are proof to myself and anyone else who will notice in a society where crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance that I too am important. C.S. Lewis had a slightly different theme. He said, I'm busy because I'm lazy. I'm busy because I'm lazy. What's that all about? Well, he says, I work hard because I let others decide what I'll do instead of resolutely deciding myself. By lazily abdicating the essential work of deciding and directing my time, establishing my values, setting goals for myself, then other people do it for me. What a genius. We're busy in our tasks because we're lazy at our priorities now CS Lewis died in 1968 before the internet, email, Facebook, snapchat Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, computers, phones mobile devices, tablets that make it easier for anyone else in the world to set your priorities rob your time any hour, any minute, any second of any day so no wonder we in this century end up so rushed, not making time for the important things and being so hurried that we can miss the gentle Holy Spirit butterfly Kairos moments. And this is impacting our mental health. Again, a little bit of research here. Neuroscientists who study the human nervous system have discovered that fear, negativity and hatred immediately stick to your nerves like Velcro. But positivity, appreciation, compliments, and gratitude immediately slide off your nerves unless you choose consciously to savour them for at least 15 seconds. So our brains are like Velcro to negativity and Teflon to positivity. So what does this mean? well i have a little demonstration here and here is a negative comment hazel throw it at me and say something negative i actually wanted to get a velcro suit for this and lots of balls so they'd stick to me so imagine that has stuck to me it? Come on, your turn to insult me. How about stupid? (laughs) I've avoided that. Preach too long. long. Check the podcast, 30 minutes every time. One of the shortest preachers. Jack, you want to go? You'll have to come here, otherwise I'll feed back. Now remember, we're in a church setting and your dad's right behind you. I'm boring. <laughs> oh, Ian, give me a compliment, mate. Come on. <laughs> Shout the compliment. I can listen to you all day. Another insult, Jane? Oh, you wanted to compliment me, the insult. Uh, don't like your t-shirt. Thank you. Paul, compliment, mate. You're better looking than me. Oh. It's a daft illustration, but can you see, every time these balls were sent to me, they just bounced off. Mick, give me another compliment. Um. <laughs> oh, Radiant, thank you. So I'm going to hold that. Mick said I'm radiant. Mick said I'm radiant. i want to do that for 15 seconds. It's a daft little example. But as you go about your day to day, you are literally carrying all of those bad things in your body That anything negative, anyone said to you face to face or by phone or in a text or that you see on TV or that you've watched over the internet or that you've heard on the radio, all that negative stuff immediately sticks to your nerves. And if you're in a hurry, the chances are that when anything positive comes along, you don't spend that 15 seconds savouring them so they just slide off. So a hurried life creates an imbalance of negative to positive. So is it any surprise that mental health is one of the greatest issues and is significantly higher than in any other previous generation? Earlier this year, The Telegraph reported that mental health is now one of the leading causes of disability and disease. Not just in England, but across the globe. And I checked this out, and it's not just because we're better at recognising it, it's not just because we're better now at recording it, it is actually worse. In the last 25 years the rate of depression and anxiety in the UK teenagers has increased by a massive 75 percent. Every year the number admitted to hospital with self-harm and suicide attempts increases and it's not just young people it's estimated there are staggering one in four of us of the British population will experience a mental health problem such as anxiety and depression in 2018. We live in a changing world where the rate of change is unprecedented, and it would seem that change itself is in a hurry. Increasingly, our lives are getting packed with issues that no previous generation faced. And, you know, earlier this year, I did a mindfulness course, and and the year before, with everything that had gone on, stuff that had gone on at church, at work, things that had gone on my extended family. I'd really hit that point of anxiety, that point of struggle. Um, And I'd gone through, from a spiritual perspective, something that St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, where God allows a time of desolation to invite us to grow and deepen our inner faith. Now, this mindfulness course was a real gift and I've been very wary of mindfulness because there are some dodgy applications of it, so a warning out there, but this was run by one of our university chaplains who is a Methodist minister and I know well, so I had some confidence this was, this was a good course. And every Monday for 10 weeks, we'd meet for two hours and we'd learn and we'd practice mindfulness. And then each day, we would have to spend 40 minutes doing the mindfulness practice. Now, 40 minutes doesn't sound very much in a day, does it? It doesn't sound very much. But i tell you what, it was really hard. To just carve out 40 minutes, now, still reading the Bible and praying and do those other things that us Christians do, but finding 40 minutes to the mindfulness practice was, took a lot of discipline. But what I found was, in that 40 minutes, it forced me to pause, it forced me to slow down, And it forced me not to be rushed or hurried. And and in that space, it gave my mind the chance to process the anxiety. And remarkably, what I found as time went on, was that it wasn't just the 40 minutes of practice each day that was the beneficial bit, but that mindfulness began to permeate my everyday life. Automatically, my mind and body started to spot the problematic situations as they arose during the day and to respond differently. Rather than hurrying through life so that these negative encounters stuck to the nervous system, I was able to recognize them, relax in them, bring God's word and scripture into them, and then they just slid off. And at the same time, by slowing down, I began to savour the positive parts of the day and those things that God says about me so that they began to stick. And the really odd thing was, although I was starting to eliminate hurry, I actually got more done. I did it more effectively, and I enjoyed it more. And I began to physically experience what those neuroscientists had discovered, but because I've got the benefit of bringing my Christianity to the mindfulness practice, I used that 40 minutes as being in God's presence, in contemplation. And then, rather than hurrying and going from one thought and one rush to the next in autopilot, where everything goes in your brain and this was a chance for me to do practically what the Bible says, which is, take every thought captive to Christ. When you're rushing around, that doesn't always happen. When you slow down, it can. You see, the Bible and Jesus already knew what we're only just discovering in psychology and neuroscience so I just want to bring this talk to a conclusion and I want to talk about advent we've ri- we've lit our advent wreath advent comes from a Latin word the word coming it's a time of expectant waiting and preparation and it has three dimensions we anticipate Remembering and celebrating a specific and wonderful Chronos and Kairos moment in history when the eternal God stepped into time as Emmanuel so that he could be with us. The word became flesh, Jesus the Christ. So that's the first thing. The second thing, throughout Advent, we anticipate Jesus coming into our hearts and our lives daily, being with us moment by moment. And thirdly, we anticipate that moment of Christ's coming again in glory at the end of time. That's Advent. And amidst our busy, hurried lives, the invitation of this Jesus, the Christ, to us is found in Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And these unforced rhythms of grace demand that we stop busily doing life and start being with Jesus and hurriedly. And it is really hard not to rush. I haven't got this cracked by any means. I don't do that mindfulness practice every day now did it for a period of time. I I don't. I do find myself hurrying along. It's not easy. Because we want results quickly. We want things to happen. But every moment of every day, we are making small choices that dent our souls and make it sickly. And I've spoken before of when John Ortberg rang Dallas Willard to get some wisdom. and, and, And what do I need to do, John asked, to be spiritually healthy? And after a long pause, Dallas Willard said, you must Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg said, Okay, I've written that one down. That's great. Really good one, quite impatiently. Now, what else do you have? What else is there? And after another long pause, Dallas said, There is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg concluded that his life and the well-being of the people that he pastored and served depended on him ruthlessly eliminating hurry. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life. Hurry destroys souls. Hurry about our day. And what do we do? We listen to all those other voices, all those negative voices. Only as we slow down and become quiet do we hear the still, small voice of God. Having a strong soul involves taking the time to tend the inner life, letting God heal the soul, feeding the soul, and resting the soul. And the place that you do that is God's presence. That's where the soul finds its rest. That's where it's replenished. And I truly believe this Advent, and in 2018, in the new year, simple changes will make a big difference. So when it comes to your spiritual life, takes time there are no shortcuts you have to trust the slow work of God so perhaps this advent you could spend time thinking and considering how you could ruthlessly eliminate hurry maybe just make one small change in your daily routine so that you can prioritize the really important things in life Plan some time to slow down and be quiet. And if walking by a stream is the way that you connect to your creator, or taking a stroll by the seashore, or getting lost in the wonder of God in beautiful music or art, or whatever it is that nourishes you and connects you to God, the creator of the universe, take some time to do that. Spend time, deep quality time with loved ones, with family with friends, not just rushing from one appointment to the next. Perhaps, and I would really encourage those of you who didn't put your hand up for house groups and journey groups, perhaps make 2018 the year that you carve out some time to be part of a journey group. Or maybe carve out some time serving the poor, doing things of eternal significance, Perhaps for you, it's finding and following the call of God on your life. All I can give back to God and all that God wants is what God has first given me. This little moment of incarnation. My little I am that for a gorgeous moment of time echoes the great and eternal I am in grateful awareness. This is less hurry, more time. This is for life. This is simply Christmas.